With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You have tuned in to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, May 10th. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson joining you. Spring practice is wrapped up. A little bit of movement on the roster. Jordan Johnson, we mentioned that during last week's podcast as the news broke while we were recording. Dylan Gibbons has left the Notre Dame program uh, with the intention of transferring somewhere in his home state of Florida. We'll see what happens there. Billboards, uh, prominent in Notre Dame's recruiting process and holding stays verbally commits to Notre Dame publicly. That was something that we had known behind closed doors that had happened a while back. But let's start with the uh, let's start with the roster movement. Just the impact of Jordan Johnson leaving, the impact of Dylan Gibbons leaving, if not in the starting lineup, certainly the depth along Notre Dame's offensive line. I mean, I think it's worth noting that Dylan Gibbons leaving has a lot more impact on this year's roster than Jordan Johnson leaving, um, which is kind of a strange thing to say um, based on, you know, what you'd read on message boards or Twitter about who was the, who was the more impactful or interesting player. But I mean, Gibbons was kind of your, your Trevor Rulin, Mark Harrell offensive lineman, I think on this year's roster. Um, and now they're sort of one injury away on the interior from, from really having things in a, in a bad spot, but you know, Jordan Johnson, if we had seen him pressing for any first team reps, then I would feel differently about it, but that we never saw that in any of the spring clips or talking to the coaches during spring ball. Funny you should mention that Pete. There's a, there's a Monday musing out there about the transfers and uh, yeah, George Johnson is the transfer that matters most in the future. But if you're looking at this year, I had Gibbons, we can say this Tim, cause he's not going to be previewed for counting down the Irish. I had Gibbons at 36 or 37. I had Jordan. I had Jordan Johnson about 57, 58. Yeah, I think uh, – I'm not sure where Johnson was, but he was lower than Gibbons. I think Gibbons ended up being 37th on our <laughs> list. And he he was – I mean, at least theoretically, he was the most versatile of the group because he was getting snaps at center. Maybe Andrew Kristoffic becomes that guy because he got some snaps in the spring at center as, as well as guard. But Gibbons was – you know, in his fifth year in the program. And, and you know, I don't know how much he was going to play. He wasn't going to start. We thought when spring began that there was a possibility of that. But over the last couple of weeks of spring practice, he was getting most of his reps as a backup center, just as a safeguard for Notre Dame. I thought Gibbons had developed pretty well um, as a run blocker. And then he would, I thought he had always struggled a little bit as a pass blocker. Um, I am surprised that whatever went on in the, you know, everybody has their postseason meeting with their with their position coach. He wouldn't have thought he f- would figure he was guaranteed a starting role exiting the spring, but I wouldn't think they would have said, "There's no, we're going in a different direction. You're not going to start either." They're I just think it was the lack of. Yeah. I think it was the lack of reps with the first team over the last couple yeah. weeks. I, I mean, at least from what we saw, there were, and we get a cross section, but I would imagine that that, generally speaking, over those first fourteen practices, that cross section is a pretty accurate 
indicator. And I, I didn't, I never saw, maybe you guys did. I never saw Gibbons get number one snaps over the last couple of weeks. No, I feel like that was really kind of a first week clip yeah. or Fisher and Spindler were really on the move there uh, or they, or before they bumped Christophic inside. So, yeah, I mean, he would have been a valuable number two at multiple positions. Um, you know, talent wise, he was not, he's not really in the same group as Spindler, Christophic, uh, certainly Patterson, if it moves him inside. But um, I guess I was a little surprised just based on some of the things you guys had heard about where he was in the program. Like it didn't seem like somebody who was itching to, to make a move, but um, if you're not getting any first team reps, that tells you what you need to know. And if you want to play, he needed to go somewhere else. And I'm sure after waiting four years and figuring he was going to step into a starting guard role, he wanted to play. That, that makes sense too. I get it. You're it's not delusions of grandeur because you've already graduated. So give it a shot. Right. I mean, if he was, a, if he was the sophomore that said, I'm going to go play somewhere else, maybe you won't. <laughs> so that's the chance you have to take, but he, he graduated from Notre Dame and now he could have a chance to play. I just, I really feel like, I mean, Rocco Spindler probably is going to improve a lot over the next four months, but what if Rocco Spindler goes into Tallahassee and gets pushed around like he did in the blue gold game, then you would want Dylan Gibbons in there, right? Yeah, you would. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to over, and we have a question in the second segment. Yeah. I don't want to overreact to one snap from the blue gold game against a guy four years older than, than Rocco Spindler. I mean, I, did we no, ever see, I, I we never saw that at any other point during the spring. Gibbons is stronger though, with four years in the program than a true. Oh, no, there's no doubt. Just, there's no doubt. It just would hold up that way. It's just that, I mean, the upside, we talked about it earlier that if it's a, if you put the two on a scale, you know, lo- certainly long-term Spindler offered you more and Gibbons was a short-term situation for Notre Dame at, at, at best. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. And then Jordan Johnson, he, you, you had said earlier in the spring that, and, and I, and I realized that any commentary on Jordan Johnson gets the blame game rolling again um, with regard to why he didn't develop, but they weren't, I mean, if, if, if we trust that the Nordham coaching staff has a pretty decent idea what they're doing at 43 and eight in the last four years, their evaluation of where Jordan Johnson was as a player and, and albeit in the second semester of his freshman year, but he wasn't making much of an impact behind a, a bunch of guys that have been in the program for a long time that don't move the needle for most fans because it's the same names of guys that haven't really emerged, but they're in a position to contribute strongly. And he just never earned that right. Um, at all this spring I would I don't know I I mean I I think I would push back on that a little bit like only in the sense that Keys, Lindsay and Wilkins I I don't think are in some great position to contribute strongly the way Brian Kelly described it so but that only reinforces the fact how far Johnson was away from being a very high level receiver at Notre Dame because he's behind guys that Brian Kelly is is really begging to take the next step. Um, so if it's not like this isn't Equiminius St. Brown stuck behind Will Fuller, you know, Jordan Johnson is behind guys who have really struggled to make an impact or stay healthy. Uh, and he couldn't push the needle in, in that kind of a competitive sense. So it's um, yeah, I, I think that Jordan Johnson's departure is, 
unfortunate because it would be interesting to sort of see where he goes, but it, the, the fit there was, was kind of rough between player and program, I think. Yeah, he's, I mean, I think the fit is the problem. Other than that, he clearly would be a guy you'd rather, you'd rather have stay around and see if he can develop in the next right. year, right? I mean, no, one, no one's going to – I just wanted to make sure we, we go on both sides of this. Jordan Johnson wasn't going to play a major role this year unless something clicked in the summer, and he just went off in August because, as Pete points out, there is a job for the taking, right? I mean, there's at least a backup number four or five role, and then say you get in the game and you play well. That's what gets you more playing time. I think there's a starting job open. Yeah, it's that's <laughs> tough to. Th- I mean, I guess Lindsay has to get hurt for that for me to happen. Or I guess Austin not being back and Lindsay has to get hurt. That's 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 a lot too, right? I mean, it's like stuff that has happened each of the last three <laughs> that's years. True. That's true, but I don't know. I even think you if you have Davis and Keys, I'm not sure if Johnson plays over either one of them. I'm not sure either. Yeah. It's like it's not it's not a depth chart that's loaded. Look, if Sean, and I know this is apples and oranges, but if Sean Crawford can fight back from the amount of injuries that, that he had, certainly Braden Lindsay and, and Lawrence Keyes, you know, are in a position to have a, a significant season. But, I, you know, I agree. I mean, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, the fact that The fact that Jordan Johnson didn't earn a bigger niche this spring, I, I – Again, I know most people want to blame the coaching staff for that. And as I've said before, never known a coaching staff that, that you know, head coaches making four and five million dollars a year and they're playing their favorites over guys that, that give them a better chance to win. It just that's not that's not real world college football. Um, I think it's more maybe, don't you think, Tim, it's just you you could see there's somebody somewhere could get something special out of Jordan Johnson. And you're not going to say somebody somewhere is getting something special out of Kendall Abdur Rahman or yeah, like, no, I agree. Gofo is a guy you want on the team. Yeah, I agree. You know, I don't. I not, I don't think he was ever a five star player, as we've said many times. But he he's a legitimate four star talent. Right, right. Right. And 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 maybe he will go somewhere. And maybe Dell Alexander, who uh, gets a lot of the blame, maybe he didn't do a good job of developing Jordan Johnson. He was only he wasn't again. It was it was the second semester of his freshman year so I mean he barely even had an opportunity uh to show himself but he didn't you know he didn't know the playbook he didn't know where he was going he had academic issues and again I have to go back to everything immediately stemmed from academic issues right out of the gate and whether you agree with it they're not going to play him in the fall pardon me out of meetings I mean he was kicked out of meetings in the postseason that's four months into your career yeah. That's four months, and you're playing for an un, you're an undefeated team. Like, I mean, maybe it was after the Clemson game, but you're playing for a playoff spot. Why? You should be engaged in a meeting for Alabama in the wide receivers room, right? Well, yes, you absolutely should be. And I and I go back to the Phil Jakovic situation, and I said this many, many times. It's not, it's not one or the other. It's both are responsible for the situation. Notre Dame needed to, they had to find a way to coach up Jordan Johnson in a short period of time. And they didn't do it. Jordan Johnson didn't maximize his opportunities um, when he was given them on the practice field in the short amount of time that he was there. So it didn't work. We'll see where he ends up. Uh, I was, was somebody talking about him ending up at Alabama? What what in the world are we talking about? Last year, I believe Alabama. one of his family members tweeted something at Alabama's receivers coach about it. Um, so I think that may be it. I, I would think that. Going to like Missouri would be a better sure. 
right sure. situation for somebody in that industry. Yeah. Uh, Holden Stays is a really good tight end. I really, really, really like him. I'm Jack, I'm trying to think when I originally wrote that film review that we were waiting on for him to verbally commit, and he pushed it off until uh, a few days ago and uh, teamed with Eli Raritan. Now we know why Jack Nichols no longer a part of this recruiting class. If those two guys are holding stays, I think has a world of potential. He's listed like 296 in the country by 24-7 sports and the 15th best tight end in the country. I cannot possibly imagine 14 high school tight ends being better than Holden Stays. I think Eli Raritan has a long way to go physically, but I like a lot of the things that I see about him, and I think that's a that's a really nice duo that they have at tight end. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't think we talked about Eli Raritan on the last podcast. It's, I mean... I like tight ends who can effortlessly dunk a basketball. Um, and I've not seen stays do it. I'm assuming that he can, but I know Raritan can. So that's like, that's a really nice combination of guys. Um, and I think that, I mean, we're some questions on this podcast a while ago about like Notre Dame's targeting of tight ends when nickel was like the one guy. And I think we all sort of agreement, like shouldn't tight end recruiting look a little bit more like offensive line recruiting. Um, and even though Stays is sort of a low four star and Raritan, I think it's like a high three. Um, I like both of these guys a lot. Um, these guys, to me, both sort of look more like what Notre Dame tight ends should look like coming into college. You know who else does? Mitchell Evans. Yeah, he really had a really, really I good. I, I would not have thought. I did not think that was going to be the case. He looks like he. He took Houston Griffith for a three and a half yard, four yard ride on his first catch in the second half. And that's, I mean, we like, we say we like high three star and Eli Reardon and four star and Holden stays. With, I don't think I had Mitch Levins any higher than the services had him. And now I do. So no, it's difficult, especially when he played quarterback. Yeah, last year. He, he was hard. And he had that. injury issues prior to that. You know, Pete, you mentioned about Notre Dame tight end recruiting should look, look like Notre Dame offensive line recruiting. I agree. I said it the other way around when they took a, a, a verbal commitment from John Olmstead early, and frankly, when they took a verbal commitment early from Dylan Gibbons. I, I thought that I thought those were reaches at that stage of those respective recruiting cycles um, that surprised me at the time. And, and Jack Nickel did too. And Jack Nickel can be a fine college tight end, but I, you know, it was too early for Notre Dame to take that verbal commitment. They corrected it. Obviously, Notre Dame doesn't like to do that to a young man, uh, and and Nickel understood it and, and moved on. But it it's a it's a really really nice tight end duel that I think um, you know they're they're different. They're they're both kind of, I mean, Raritan's kind of, and again, I'm not making the exact comparison, but kind of the um, Tyler Eifert was a wide receiver in high school. I'm not saying, I'm certainly not saying he's going to be a first round draft pick, but uh, you know, I mean, a similarity in terms of body type and um, kind of, kind of part tight end, part wide receiver coming out of high school. The only time to use this story, but when Pete said, I like to see my tight ends easily dunk a basketball, you know who apparently the best dunker was other than Chase Claypool, like in the Brian Kelly era was Tyler Eifert. Yeah. We mentioned something to Reese, when he was playing like Reese, made some comment about being the best jump shooter on the team. 
And I offhandedly asked him, like, are you the best basketball player on the team? He's like, no, 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 that's that's Tyler. <laughs> like, he didn't want to step on anyone's toes and, and just get dunked on more by Eifert. So. That's, uh, I mean, the Eifert comparison is one, like, I think people in the group will will make. Um, you, don't, you don't need to sort of lead them down the path. That's that's how they see Ray. I, uh, did somebody actually, I didn't, I have heard no one from Notre Dame say that. Did somebody actually say that to I, you? I, I that yes oh, good. all right then i'm gonna pat myself on the back yeah. also um i have hit a certain age where i am now writing a recruiting story on somebody's whose dad i covered in notre dame which is like really a little bit trippy i'm uh gonna top that because yes. his grandpa <laughs> Riverton's <laughs> grandfather was when i first heard that i mean i thought i naturally thought of the name Raritan when i heard it but then when somebody said grandfather was like well he can't be that old well hell i'm old yep. enough to to be in that range so so scott raritan the former offensive line coach and grandfather of eli raritan or uh I'm, I'm sorry former offensive lineman from the great nebraska teams and nordame strength and conditioning coach at one point during lou holtz era uh yeah yeah he's but I, you know eli raritan i man there is a I mean, Holden stays is Holden stays. I, I, you know, that's a pretty physically developed guy. I think he can, I think he needs to continue to to strengthen his lower body to break through some of the the leg tackles and ankle tackle tackles that have gotten him uh, tripped him up at this point of his high school career. But I think uh, Eli Raritan, there's a lot of development to be made there, and there and there is a there's kind of, there's a wide receiver in that tight end's body. Okay, we're going to wrap up segment one with that. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards, question, questions from our readers. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Burning Up the Boards. First question from Rex Hampton 8, and I concur with this notion and wonder, who is the genius behind the billboard idea? Uh, well, we've asked. It's been difficult to um, get a one-person answer. Um, the recruiting staff came up with a really, really good idea with, with the billboards, probably a little bit of an expensive one. The Nordane football can absorb that, of course. But, uh, I mean, let's just give cre- credit to the recruiting staff. Chad Bowden, new to the recruiting staff. I don't know if it's specifically him, but we'll throw out his name as somebody that's new to the group. The pot of gold stuff from uh, a few weeks ago was somewhat creative. Not as I don't think as creative as as it as the billboards or maybe as effective as the billboards but i mean good stuff nordheim's trying to do some different things uh, marcus freeman's arrival has certainly added to the process and this was a creative one that has gained a lot of attention across the country well i mean mike elston is the new again recruiting coordinator so i mean he's the, he's it's ultimately it's his shop um so i have to give some credit to him and I mean, if you want to go up the food chain a little bit, um, you know, and I believe in, it was probably a couple months ago, Brian Kelly, you know, made the decision to to flip Polian and Elston. And it was, 
it was to get some some fresh ideas there. Um, and I mean, you go back to doing the semi truck with Demetrius Robertson. I mean, they've done pot of gold in the past. That's you know not necessarily a new thing. Um, but I think most of those have been sort of one-off recruiting things where you, you just try something new. Um, probably is not going to hit necessarily, but I do think this one, you know, it, it leverages Notre Dame's brand. It fits NIL stuff. Um, it definitely has a we're Notre Dame and you're not vibe to it, which like Notre Dame likes to, to get out there too. Um, so I, I give them a ton of credit for this one you know, what success looks like off this, I don't know, but in some ways it might just be the successes that everybody's talking about it. And it's cooler than the semi and 5,000 times cooler than the pot of gold. I'll throw that in too. Yeah. And I would, Pete, I agree with you. I mean, I think if, if, if we in the media were to give anyone credit for this, it, it, it would be Elston. Elston wouldn't do that. It will be imitated in some. It is a brilliant idea, Tim. Yeah, no, it really is. It really, it really is. is. And mean... it will be imitated in some form or fashion by others. Uh, but like Pete, like you said, I mean, we're Notre Dame and you're not. Notre Dame's in a position um, to use that philosophy. And it's it's really cool. They're really They're really well done. Now, how much actual impact that will have on recruiting is very difficult to say, but it certainly plants a seed in some high populated areas where there are some good football players that are 15, 16, 17 years old that are noticing that now and could impact Notre Dame down the road. As Jack said, does Paulus have one outside Penn High School anywhere, anywhere nearby, or is there a? Nah, Uh, if it, if it, if it gets you, uh, as soon as you said Penn High School, I thought of Notre Dame's 15 home run first baseman from Penn high school. Well, that does. There you go. Yeah. Stay, stay home. I stayed home. In yes. Yes, exactly. Wreckers 33 hot heading into the spring. There was a belief that Blake Fisher's long-term home was as a guard. Has he shown enough at left tackle to change that opinion? If not, what else does he need to do to show that he can be a tackle from now on? You keep playing tackle the way that he played it all spring. That's that's pretty much all he needs to do. Um, you know, there's I don't want to trample all over Packy P's question coming up here, but Blake, I I am a firm believer that Blake Fisher is starting at left tackle because he is the best left tackle on the team and has beaten out other left tackles who are probably pretty good. Yeah, that's going to have to include Jarrett Patterson, which makes for some awkwardness in the uh, in August because it might come down for Jarrett Patterson and Tim. I know you've talked about this enough that. He is just much better at guard than Josh Lug would be or Blake Fisher would be, and they are really good at tackle. And you have to put your best five out there in the five positions, right? That's we we all think Josh Lug's better tackle than guard. Clearly, the staff really likes Blake Fisher at tackle. Now, Patterson wasn't there to compete against him, but it's what you want to get your combination of those best three. I have a, I know Patterson could be a better guard. Well, I shouldn't say it. No, I've never seen him do it. I believe Patterson would be a better guard than Lug. Yeah, yep. no, I agree. I agree with that. And I look, I was the one that kept saying Blake Fisher's a guard. Blake Fisher's a guard. I'm sure he could play guard very well. I but I was wrong about left tackle. He was, and and I realize he hasn't passed the final test in spring practice. It's not against live competition and an opponent. But I personally feel like. Uh, I've seen enough to be a believer at left tackle. Could Jarrett Patterson play left tackle that well? 
maybe, probably, maybe based upon what Notre Dame saw of him when he came in as a true freshman. But, man, he's good out there. He's so balanced. He doesn't lunge. He's got the quickness to protect the edge. Again, we haven't seen live stuff against uh, an opponent, but um, but I was wrong about that. He, I, I thought, for me personally, and apparently for Notre Dame, he passed all the tests this spring. Um, I have a hard time, as good as Jarrett Patterson is, and Jarrett Patterson's going to be probably a top 100 pick when he enters the NFL draft, whether whenever that is. Uh, and I'm sure that he could play left tackle very well, but I, I know he'll play. And no, I haven't seen him play guard, Tim, but I have seen him play tackle in practice and center. <laughs> and there's no reason in the world yeah, why he can't be a great guard. Uh, that may not be exactly what Jared Patterson wants to hear, but in terms of what's best for the entire offensive line, I think, I think Blake Fisher has proven that he should be Notre Dame's left tackle. Next related note from Packy P. Is it more good news that Fisher and Spindler may start or more disappointing that others who have been on the program aren't ready? I think it's more, I think it's more Fisher and Spindler. I mean, you look, we knew they were good football players coming out of high school. The expectation seldom is that they're going to step into the starting lineup as true freshmen, but you know, you also have to take in consideration that, I mean, like a guy like Andrew Kristoffic, he's a redshirt sophomore. I mean, Aaron Banks wasn't ready or because of the depth who didn't start as a redshirt sophomore. Now an injury precipitated that midway through his third year in the program. But a lot of times, you know, only the elite offensive linemen are in a position generally to start as a, as a redshirt junior I'm sorry, sophomore, junior, and senior. Uh, Eichenberg did it. Hainsey, of course, was a starter right from the beginning. But I, I, I mean, I to me, it's it's Fisher Spindler are unique players with a tremendous upside. We knew they had a tremendous upside. They're just showing it sooner than anticipated. I I would distinguish between Fisher and Spindler here. Um, I think that Fisher starting is says more about Fisher than it does about the other guys on the roster. And I think Spindler starting would say more about the other guys on the roster than it would about Spindler. Not that I'm diminishing how good Rocco Spindler could be. I just think that the guy, they, they should have had more options at guard. And I, I get the sense that at guard, they're like, they would love it if an older guy grabbed hold of that position and it's just not happening. Whereas Fisher, I think has just been like, Holy crap, this guy is unbelievable. Um, whereas Spindler may ultimately win it, and that may have more to do with Quinn Carroll and Kristofic and, and some of the older guys who just haven't grabbed hold of the spot. Yeah, I, um, Carroll, you would think, even with that injury, could be threatening more to be Notre Dame's starting guard in year number three, considering how he came in, how he was looked at when he came in as a freshman, right? And the early, early returns, they were super early returns we got on him um, before his injury. Dylan Gibbons, I mean, he obviously had every chance to win it, right? So this that yeah. probably tells you he's leaving. So that tells you all you need to know, I think. Um, I, yeah, Pete or Tim, you made a good point about Eichenberg. He he took until this point Quinn Carroll and Andrew Kristoffic's point in his career to start. Now I think he was clearly going to be a good starter. Then we wouldn't have been questioning that Eichenberg could hold up at all going into that 2018 season. We had heard really good things about him already from He Stand and from Kelly. Um, you make a good point, like Josh Lug. He was going against a lot better players, but Josh Lug didn't win a job 
until his junior year only because Robert Hainsey got hurt. He, he would have been a first-time starter last year if Hainsey never hurt his ankle. It, it, yeah, it's not automatic. It, like, Tosh, like Tosh, Tosh Baker, people are disappointed that Tosh Baker didn't grab a job. Like, Liam Eikenberg was nowhere near a job at Tosh yeah. Baker's age. He was moved away from Hainsey and Kramer. So that's it, it does take some time. No, it does. And, and, and Pete, I can appreciate the distinction that you made between Fisher and Spindler. I, I agree with that. Maybe I'm thinking that I at one time predicted that Spindler would had a chance to come in and start as a true freshman. And, and, and you're right. I mean, I mean, I think there was, there's a cap on how good Gibbons could be as a redshirt senior. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time distinguishing between um, whether you know, if Carroll hadn't suffered that injury, would he be ready to, would he be ready to go full goal and compete at his best uh, this spring? I, I don't, I don't know that, but Spindler's better than him right now. And there just isn't, mm-hmm. there isn't much doubt about that. And, and, and I, and I think any, anything that, any advantage that Gibbons may have had by being, you know, four years older than Spindler was mitigated by the fact that Spindler is going to be a great, a great offensive guard that's going to play in the NFL. Yeah, that's fair. Question from, uh, I'm actually going to, we're going to do back-to-back questions from Denver Maximus. The first one is. Congratulations, like, Denver Maximus. Yeah, I don't like, I don't generally like to do that, but I missed a question and I wanted to add it. So there we go. As talented as Spindler is. And will be, how concerned are you that he may not have the strength or stamina as a true freshman to hold up against stronger college-ready players? I still have visions of Heinish pushing him easily into the backfield. I mean, in Congress with what I just said, they're usually not ready to compete at that age. So I do have concerns about that when they play good defensive lines, right? I'd say <laughs> very concerned. Um, but, I, I mean, that's the thing, like, you can't, you can't fast forward strength training. It takes a long time. Um, it probably, it takes more than nine months to be, I think college ready to play on the interior. I think it's a man's world down there, but we're talking about start one of probably 52 starts. All right. If my math is yeah. correct on Rocco Spindler. I think it's 56 um, these days, Pete, they go to the playoffs and keep going. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I retract that. Um, but he will, he will just get better and better and better and better, but you have to allow for the fact that he's starting at the bottom and then he's going to climb and climb and climb in the strength room. Um, but that's, you know, being ready on game one to be a, a very, very good interior offensive lineman as a true freshman is just, that's, that's a big, big ask. Um, you know, I think knowing what we know about Rocco Spindler three months will not close the gap completely, but it will take a chunk out of that gap. I believe that because he is that dedicated to the craft and, and, and will cut the disadvantage there. I also think, you know, let's not overreact to one snap because line play is leverage. And when a guy that's four years older gets that leverage out of the gate, there's really no recovering on that particular snap of the football once you're reeling and you've got a guy that's four years older than you and strong as hell, you're not going to be able to recover on that, that snap. But will there be times when he's going up against a, 
a senior or a fifth year senior where he, where he's at a little bit of a strength disadvantage. There's no doubt about that. Well, I think um, that I mean, it's I worth it. like, it's, he'll, I mean, he'll run into Kurt Heinisch type players who are like, you know, the, the old YMCA gym rat guy where, you know, doesn't look super athletic, but just knows how to use technique and hand yes. placement and trick you like Rock, Rocco Spindler is going to get tricked in the, in the fall. Um, but those are great learning experiences if, if you can play through them as an offense. Well, think about the tricks. If, the, if those two freshmen line up next to each other, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to get schemed out of situations. There's just no doubt about it. They'll be in situations where they haven't seen them before, plus the disadvantage strength-wise where they will get schemed into making mistakes. But, hey, I, you know, I truly believe that those are two of Notre Dame's five best offensive linemen at this point, and it is what it is. You have to live with it. Second question from Denver Maximus, getting away from Spindler and the offensive line and Fisher, with a ton of hype surrounding Cam Hart at cornerback, where does that leave Tariq Bracey? Any thoughts? on what the secondary may look like. And I think Tariq Bracey's in a good position still. I don't – I like Cam Hart too, but I, I think Tariq Bracey is in fine position to keep competing for that spot. Um, I know they need four, right? Well, and, at the end, and I mean, and, and they need – you know, we don't know who the nickel is, and Bracey yeah. has a lot of – you know, a ton of coverage pre- experience. So whether they – whether those three have some form of rotation – um, or, you know, you just need a sub or you're in nickel, you're in dime. Rick Bracey should still play a lot of football for Notre Dame this year. Even if, even if Cam Hart is the starting safety opposite Clarence Lewis. I agree. It's, I mean, that's, you need what four corners to feel good about yourself in terms of your, your overall depth going into the season. And, I mean, Tariq Bracey is probably number three at, at the moment. Like, it's I think you want Bracey and Henderson to to give you something. So I think there's depth, there's a ton of work for Tariq Bracey this season, yeah. even if he's not one of the top two corners. And Next Bracey one. should, you know, and Bracey should he should really take it. Yeah, I know it's early. We haven't played twenty twenty one yet, but he should really take advantage of twenty twenty two. If yeah. he has a strong, you know, if he has a strong year. And as he continues to try to get stronger physically, he's in a position that where he would really benefit by taking advantage of that extra year. It's a position that will be, there's still concerns about it, but looking into it today is much different than last year at this time or last August where you're like, oh, the cornerback, other cornerback position is going to be rough. Now we didn't know Clarence Lewis would play well. So that was a pleasant surprise, but right. I, I, I like, as Pete mentioning Henderson, I mean, I like those four guys. It's, I think I said last week they have a two and three threes, not not a one, a two, a three, and a four. But yeah. I, I do I do like the three threes. I mean, just like snap counts last year, Bracey was the third most <laughs> corners, um, and he was at two hundred eighty eight. But then to get to the fourth corner, who was Cam Hart, he was at six. So you know, you're 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 trying to find three hundred fifty snaps between probably your third and your fourth corner, right? Yeah, Hart was dealing with some – he was dealing with some shoulder issues too But um, last year. But, yeah, I mean, you need those guys. It's a long season. You need depth. You need nickel. You need dime. Uh, he has a very good chance of being 
being on the field quite a bit, even if he is not an actual starter in the base defense. Buck Dancer, any word if Notre Dame is considering making a transfer portal move or are they ready to roll with what they have? I don't, I don't think they're ready to roll what they have. I think that that's something that they continue to, to mine as a, as a possibility safety. I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know where you're going to find an offensive lineman that's going to come in without the virtual guarantee of starting, but that's kind of the situation that they're in, unless there's a real veteran out there that could bump, you know, maybe Spindler from the lineup, but, uh, and wide receiver, I, I, you, I, you don't close the door until the transfer portal ha, is over or is empty or just can't help you at those positions. Yeah, I mean, especially with the transfer rules changing, I, you, you are always open to this idea at all times at every position. Um, that's that's just the mentality that I, I think is smart to have moving forward, and I, I think that's the mentality Notre Dame will have moving forward. Uh, question from question from Basney BMW uh, regarding Sebo Flemister. What's the situation with Sebo moving forward? Play on words there with the BMW. Basney is a local BMD, BMW uh, dealership here, for those not familiar with it in South Bend. You know, I, I feel like uh, people are jumping the gun a little bit here. If he's a Class B misdemeanor, I mean, we can all kind of guess why he left the scene of an accident at 3 a.m. on a weekend. But Technically, he's going to be a Class B misdemeanor. I think Sebo's punishment is similar to what other guys have had, and that's going to be some extra early mornings with Matt Bayless's interns and then some time with Mr. Bayless later on in the day maybe and maybe some time with somebody else later on that evening because Sebo's life will be difficult for, for doing that. But um, you want me to name all the guys that never miss a play for getting arrested or not? Do I need, is that already on the board? Do I need to do that? No, I, I think you should because the, the perception is that he's he's definitely going to be suspended. And I, go ahead and list the names I of guys. Have, that, I think he might have been suspended uh, if he was arrested for that DUI and, 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 and causing an accident or something like that. But I, look, Tavon Coney, Kevin Stefferson, Dexter Williams didn't miss a play of the Texas game. Kevin Stefferson was a freshman. And they were arrested for possession of a handgun and marijuana two weeks before the season started or before the season started. Now, Max Redfield was kicked off the team, but Max Redfield was kicked off the team for a thousand incidents before that. You don't <laughs> kick him off the team for that. Um, Javon McKinley made his career debut after punching campus police officers getting arrested. That's when he made his debut, his senior year after that. That happened um, in the spring. Michael Floyd had three alcohol arrests and didn't miss a play. Now he got suspended for the spring, which was kind of like a bonus for him. What are we looking at here? This is Tommy Reese and Carlo Calabrese got suspended because there was assault on an officer. Yeah. Why would Sebo Flemister get suspended when none of these guys got suspended for, I mean, I'm not going to judge what they've done by saying worse or better, but a class B misdemeanor is not the same as possession of a handgun and weed while being high driving. <laughs> I, I got a, I've got a bunch of old acquaintances from the, the teams from the late eighties that, that are shaking their head like, you know, Michael Stonebreaker shaking his head. He missed the whole season. Well, yeah, his accident got him too. I mean, that. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I know. I, but you know what I'm saying? I yes. mean, the times have changed and it's, they're a lot more lenient in, in, in terms of, of punishments and, and, and things like that. But um, 
Siebel will. Uh, he's not going to have an easy uh, easy time of it when he's back now, but doing stuff. But that, no, but he'll be in uniform for the opener at Florida State. We're we're quite certain. Question from Irish Gambler: Is there a position on defense that you expect to be more or less productive because of Marcus Freeman's defensive philosophy? Uh, will linebacker, but I don't know if that's a philosophy as much as like those guys are getting older, do voice, um, that, but I'm not sure there was another position on the defense that I would point to and be like, ah, that position is going to have a a renaissance because of, uh, a new system or a new coordinator. This doesn't have much to do with his philosophy necessarily, just that they, maybe they're deeper, hopefully, or maybe it might, might be how Freeman uses him. I mean, I think Kyle Hamilton will be have a much more productive year, but I guess we talked about that already. It's his, uh, he was injured in game number one and a half, right? Or second yeah. half, first game, game number one, yeah. So that's probably why he wasn't uh, picking off passes and scoring left and right like we thought he might. Yeah, I, I think, you know, anytime you have a, a defensive philosophy that's a lot more aggressive and ta- attacking the line of scrimmage, you pop things open for other defensive players. So while the defensive end position, I think just, in pure pass rush alone and base defense is still a bit of a concern. I think Marcus Freeman can create some sacks for the defensive ends, which in turn, you know, like sometimes you see a defensive tackle uh, having a higher sack total. Is it because he's just flat out beating somebody or is it schemed because the offensive line and pass pro has to deal with, um, you know, somebody coming from the the second or third level. I, I, you know, just off the top of my head, that's something, that I would suggest that I think there are some schemes there that can create sack opportunities for guys that wouldn't, you know, normally have those sack opportunities in a base defense. Tim, I think you wrote about this or writing about it. Um, Notre Dame, their corners and safeties will probably have more chances, interceptions just by the way they're playing too. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Cincinnati had 16 interceptions in each of the last two years and, and Mike Mickens got credit, you know, credit for it in, 2019 well they had 16 interceptions in 14 games in 2019 and Cincinnati had 16 interceptions in 10 games last year so Notre Dame's leader had one Notre Dame's leader had one pick yeah. last year. it's amazing yeah so I think that I think the scheme creates opportunities all over the place it, it creates opportunities for big plays for the opponent it creates opportunity sack opportunities for a variety of players on defense and it, it creates interception opportunities on the back end of the defense as well. Next from Hayden Adams Z. What was your favorite overreaction from spring practice by the media or fan base? And what's the key storyline you felt went under the radar, but will rear its head in the fall. You know, one that I think, I mean, you know, Jordan Johnson's a overreaction for a guy that hasn't done anything yet. Um, Declaring Lindsey Keys and Davis no good is is an overreaction based upon the past. Um, yeah, you know, I think the Spindler Heinish snap that everybody's talking about is a, is a bit of a, a bit of an overreaction, but I, I get it. Um, and then what I said about being able to scheme against a couple of freshman offensive linemen, you can you can a good defensive coordinator can put them in some some difficult situations. Um, Tyler Buckner starting a quarterback would be a. I thought that would be blown out of proportion a little bit more than it was. That's why I didn't mention it. You were kind of, you were kind of disappointed by the fan base on yeah, that. Yeah, I like, thought. Come I, on, guys! I was gonna, I was going to jump on that one. Actually, I was going to bandwagon. Yeah, let's do it. 
yeah, I mean that would that would definitely be one. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. It, it was kind of an overreaction light spring practice. Yeah, uh, maybe on the maybe on the flip side of that, like you know, like and and I'm guilty of this. I mean, Tiger Valoa Mosa, I've already declared him a legit big end and he's going to do great there rushing the passer based upon what we saw in the spring. That might be a little bit of an overreaction. He still has to mm-hmm. has to prove that against live competition. I think I could do an overreaction <laughs> that will also rear its ugly head in the fall. Like if you're saying Jordan Johnson, then everybody's overreacting because Jordan Johnson probably wasn't going to start. But if you're saying Jordan Johnson, not again, then you can say that Notre Dame's leading receiver from 2017, 18, 19, and 20 has not done anything at the college level. Their, le- their highest recruited receiver for the last four classes has not done anything at the college level. So that is more along the lines of not again with Jordan Johnson rather than just Jordan Johnson. So that would be rearing its ugly head, I guess. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it, it, it's fair. I mean, it's fair to bring up. I don't know if it has to be a topic every single day of our lives throughout no, spring no, that, and summer, that, but that could come back though. You know what I mean? Like Jordan Johnson might not have mattered at all in 2021, but somebody has to matter from that group. Yeah. Yeah. Xavier Watts has to matter. Right. 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 I mean, we didn't mention him earlier when we were talking about this, but they really need to develop the hell out of Xavier Watts. They really do. I mean, come on, you, you, you better, you better, if you're going to, if the Jordan Johnson thing fizzled, you better do that. Or Deion Colsey comes in and and does something right away. I think we have a question about him later. We'll move on from that. Uh, From Jim Booney CRS. How's Kevin Austin's recovery? From foot surgery coming along. It's ankle, right, Pete? Is that correct? Foot. It is foot. foot. Okay. Yeah, Kyle Hamilton was ankle. Um, okay, that's right. That's right. This uh, this would oh, of course. potentially right. fall under the category of what's the key storyline you felt went under the radar but will rear its head in the ugly fall is Kevin Austin's left foot. Um, because I, I don't know how I got into a Twitter discussion or maybe it was in the comments of a story that I wrote, but... I just have a hard time seeing Notre Dame's offense being dynamic if Kevin Austin isn't full strength. Um, And there are people that will really want to believe that they'll be fine at receiver without him. Um, I just don't feel that way. I, I think it has to be Austin Tyree, Kyron Williams, Michael Mayer uh, with Avery Davis as like the the fifth guy uh, for, for Notre Dame to, to really have a dynamic offense. So that, I, I and I don't I don't have an update on where his foot is. Well, he got on the field at the end of spring practice, um, so progress is being made. They wouldn't put him out there if he wasn't ready to do that. He had started a running process. Um, I totally agree with you. I mean, that's why we had this discussion. I think a week ago when Brian Kelly talked to responded to your question about. From good to great, how do they get to good to great? I, I don't, I don't think they can do that without Kevin Austin. And having said that, if Kevin Austin is healed and doesn't have a setback, I think he'll be a difference maker for them. Yes, yo, I, I agree. And Pete, go back to that Twitter or message board and let them know that how's this logic? Your best wide receiver is Kevin Austin. Your other wide receivers, along with him, are unproven. Why would you think removing your best wide receiver? 
won't matter. It will matter. They need Kevin Austin out there for a group of unproven receivers. But Tim, you make a great point. If he's back on the field running in late April, that's four months after surgery. This is one of those injuries where when you don't have surgery, they do kind of rush you back because you're technically healthy. And I don't mean Notre Dame, I mean football. Like if you break the fifth metatarsal, like believe me, I had this conversation all summer with doctors trying to figure out what Kevin Austin would be like in the season. You're not supposed to come back and play football in those six weeks. Like you're supposed to be like, okay, hey, congratulations. Now go live your life again. They go out and they play football, which is really, really more stressful than going out and living your life after having that injury. So the surgery, supposedly the surgery is what everyone needs and doesn't get because surgery means no football season for you. But I guess the surgery is what you are supposed to get with this injury. That's probably the best news for Kevin Austin. And they wouldn't have run him out there for the heck of it in April because there was no game coming up. Right. And, I, you know, I agree that Tyree becomes, I mean, Tyree and Williams on the field together is going to happen because Tyree has to be, uh, they're both good receivers. I mean, Williams is probably even a, a better receiver than, than Tyree. Um, Lindsey, man, Lindsey looked pretty darn good in the spring. I mean, he looked stronger to me. There's no reason why he can't, again, stay healthy uh, and make an impact. He, he, he's done that already, not on a grand scale, but he has done that. And kind of getting back to um, an overreaction from Hayden Adams Z, there might be an overreaction to Lawrence Keys from the spring, right? I mean, I, you know, I'm not, and even healthy, I'm not sure that that he's a consistently impactful player from week to week. Yeah, I think all those receivers need one more to help the trickle down like we talked about last week. Yeah. Speaking of receivers again, Jay Jude, Deion Colsey will will arrive this summer as the tallest wide receiver on the roster. Do you think he will carve out a red zone package role? My first reaction would be Mayor Takis Evans. You know, I mean, I know they aren't wide receivers or tight ends, but – you know, Takis is six six. Mayer's just an absolute beast, and Evans looked pretty good. I, you know, Colsey's a bigger receiver. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe he can, but there are those out there that don't don't think that Brian Kelly will ever, ever play a true freshman receiver. So I'm not going to say a whole lot about Deion Colsey right now. I mean, the question here is like, who is your boundary receiver by himself when it's third and goal at the five? And I would put Michael Mayer over there. Right. Yeah. Or Kevin Austin, too, if he proves he can do it. Right. So again, but Michael Mayer first. You're right. No, I agree with you. Michael Mayer is the one to put out there, but Austin's another option. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Do I think Deion Colsey will carve out a red zone package role as a freshman? No. Yeah. But it's an intriguing question. And I think I asked it last week as soon as they lost Jordan Johnson's like, well, somebody has to show up. And he is the different. He is the unique size compared to everybody else. Like you mentioned Lawrence Keyes has to hold up and all these guys. I mean, Avery Davis and Lawrence Keyes aren't your red zone package guys, right? And Braden Lindsay. No, so, but you, but I bet Holden stays is in the future. Yeah, no, his, that's his true. catch radius is is really really massive. Question from Irish from A two: In what ways, if any, do you think the twenty twenty one team will be noticeably better than a twenty twenty team? I know where better it needs to get a lot better um, the rush the rush defense was good last year i think it'll be i mean the rush defense was very good last year i think it'll be great i think the rush is gonna be great they're yeah they could have a great run day this year they're so deep you could you could lose any one player 
He'd still have a great run D. Just be like, yeah, it'd be fine. They'll have a great run D. It would, it would hurt with Heinish because he's a fifth-year senior, and as Pete mentioned, I mean, he's just going to be an anchor in there for 35 plays. But you could really lose any player, couldn't you? From that defensive front? I mean, yeah, I think they can afford to have somebody get hurt. Yeah. Um, you don't want to. But <laughs> I don't think Jonathan Doerr is going to miss five out of nine again. No, if he does, he won't get a chance to get to number 10. <laughs> yeah, I. but my, my point of where they need to improve, they're 84th, 84th in the country in um, touchdown percentage in the red zone. Um, I have confidence that Tommy Reese, being a smart offensive mind, will come up with some solutions to that, which ties into Jay Jude's question about Colsey or whoever is targeted in the, in the red zone. But uh, they have to get better down there. If you do that, you know, I mean, think about if Notre Dame, and I know it's a big if because they were 84th in, in touchdown percentage in the red zone, but uh, we look at Notre Dame's offense a lot differently. If they are not so atypically poor last year in the red zone in terms of scoring touchdowns, and is that, I mean, that's, you know, Tommy Reese has to shoulder a lot of the blame there. You've, you've got a veteran offensive line. Um, you know, you've got to be better there, and I think that they will be. Sounds like Ian Book, according to Brian Kelly, without saying his name, could shoulder a lot of that blame, though, too, right? Being yeah. Like, the way he mentioned, just got the quarterback's got to be decisive. and Decisive, those yeah. And I think Jack Cohn will be decisive when it, when it comes to that. Um, yeah, that was a good point because that was kind of mentioned in passing. But if you listen to what was being said, yeah. the fourth-round draft pick had trouble finding things quickly and decisively in the red zone. So you're saying Buckner should start, Tim, right? That's what we're taking away from this. <laughs> Let's go to the freshman to find it. I would not be surprised if, and I know this is kind of a cliche, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a red zone package for Tyler Buckner. Now I'd like to see, I would like for Jack Cohn to have been disproven as the guy in the red zone before you go ahead and implement that. But I can see that happening with Tyler Buckner, especially as decisive as he looked uh, on, on the keeper in the red zone. DOC Irish, what's one thing you think you know coming out of spring that might prove wrong when you get to see fall practice in person? This is where I wrote down MTA and keys is maybe, maybe jumping the gun a little bit in the spring. I, you know, and I also think, I mean, the fact that the notion that, and I realize you have Michael Mayer at the head of the list at tight end. And so if you keep him on the field all the time, you're probably going to be pretty good. But I mean, the notion that Notre Dame's depth at tight end is just an absolute given going into the season. We didn't see Bauman this spring. We don't know for sure about George Takis, although I think he'll be fine. I think for me, the first thing that popped in my head was that the tight end position is a given. When you think about the fact that you had Tremble and Wright on last year's team, and they were pretty dynamic in the roles that they played for the tight end core. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Nothing really comes to mind here. Um, I'm not sure that there's anything that I, that I would look at. I mean, maybe, maybe it will be the overwhelming force of the defensive line once Jared Patterson gets sorted into the offensive line. And then maybe what we see in fall won't look so much like what we saw in spring where there are no long runs. Uh, the pocket collapses really quickly. Um, but in some ways I feel like I expect that to happen. So I don't, 
This is a hard one to answer. I don't think there's anything that jumps out to me and says like, hey, this is something I'm really on guard for in the fall. Just could, And what I saw in the spring might not match up. I have one since we didn't see practice and he was named captain of the blue goal game. I'd like to see Houston Griffith with my own eyes do what got him to be named captain of the blue goal game. And Shane Simon. Yeah, although Simon, I guess when you make a nice little pick and a couple of blitzes, yeah. Shane Simon flashed. You know what I'm saying? That was more. Yeah, of a, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm lumping the two together in terms of consistent yeah. physicality. Right, right. So that would be yeah. You got to see fall practice to to believe those things, right? You see five, you know, ten hours of practice, nine hours of practice. Yeah, it's hard right, to make, you know, right. And we'll wrap up with a question from ND Alien. Who's the most famous person you've met at a Notre Dame event? Now. You've known a lot of famous Notre Dame people because of our just general coverage. How about at an at an event? Is there anything? Um, or or list or I mean both, I guess. I mean, at a Notre Dame game in the old press box, I was in the same elevator as Muhammad Ali once. Which yo, is, that's a good. One. Uh, and then I think it was the night before Notre Dame played Syracuse at new new Meadowlands or wherever that was I went out to dinner with a, a Notre Dame alum and we're seated we're seated next to Larry David that was kind of cool not that I like interrupted him during dinner but those are the two that jumped to mind to me those are who you but those are who you've seen who have you met uh I mean yeah Muhammad Ali I just said like hello but that I don't know if that would qualify as a meeting um, you, probably, you probably remembered it Pete there was yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't know if there's I'm, nobody like nobody that was like, hey, I, I've never. Yeah, in terms of meeting and getting to know somebody just because of Notre Dame, um, outside of Notre Dame, I'm, I, I didn't you. really have a good answer yeah. for that. I mean, yeah. Muhammad Ali is about as famous as a human yeah. being get, so that's high on the list. I mean, yeah. I guess I have seen and been near brushed up against Bon Jovi he's pretty famous in terms of fame right yeah like you may mention Bon Jovi to the world he will pop up faster than like I saw Ernie Banks I was kind of near Ernie Banks at the Chicago game in 2000 or the Miami game in Chicago in 2012 but Bon Jovi's known by more people than Ernie Banks not to offend Priester on that one but it's true <laughs> There's, uh, yeah I don't know this is a, that's a really good question and I read it wrong because I read game and I'm trying to think of all the things we've seen um I mean, Vital is very famous, right? Yeah, I just thought of somebody. Of course, I've been around for a hundred years, so Joe Montana's awfully famous. I met him. <laughs> I, a, I, I actually, too, I've been around Joe Montana, but I was never introduced to him. I've told the story about, <clears throat> excuse me, reading uh, meeting Regis Philbin at Lou Holtz's home actually the week of the '93 Ford State game. Um. I mean, I have a picture here interviewing Father Hesper. He's pretty famous. He's pretty famous. He's on the Ali <laughs> list of fame. Yes. I knew I knew Eric Parsegian, but like actual event. Okay, the two guys at actual Notre Dame event. Uh, Johnny Latner, <laughs> Heisman Trophy winner. And then Ross Browner, who was uh yeah. What, what did what did Lou Samoji say about <laughs> yeah. Ross Browner? He no. When they said his brother was going to be a better player than Ross Browner, that was the most offended I've seen. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> Ross Browner was in, is incredibly engaging. I met him at a at an event in Elmira, New York, and pretty much like kind of spent the weekend with him. And what a what a hoot he was, man! I mean, he was the life of the party. We all and met he, uh, 
Bettis together. I mean, you you knew Bettis, but afterwards, like Bettis became famous after Notre Dame, and then we yeah. he, we talked with him at Olympia Fields. Remember for one of the Kelly events? Yeah, yeah. He's a pretty famous. I mean, Muhammad Ali is more famous than Joe but, Bettis. I mean, for John Latner, I I remember when I met Rockney. Now that's not true, but I did meet John Latner. Um, one of Notre Dame's. I mean, I met Montana. So Montana is probably the fifth most famous athlete you can name of the last what was the American setting? athlete of the last century. What right? was the setting that, that you met him? In South in? Bend at, uh, at a bar. And he said, go Steelers when we got done talking. It ruined me forever. Really? Yes. You had a conversation. Oh, okay. I had a conversation, had a conversation, about, conversation about, the about the 49ers. Yes. He's a, and, no, and then I didn't say this, but the guy that was like eavesdropping on us, when he was walking out, said to Montana, uh, go Niners. And he turned around and said, go Steelers. And I was like, because, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's his, you know, that was his team growing up. Maybe he went back to him. I don't know. Yeah. I knew Moose Krause. Uh, I don't know necessarily that famous throughout the country these days, but uh, you cover Notre Dame for 40 years and you get an opportunity to meet a few pretty cool, pretty cool people. So, Hey, that's it for our uh, Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast today. We appreciate you joining us. We'll be back next Monday, May 17th. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.